So this morning, I'd like to introduce uh, Allie Cranmer and have her come up. Allie is our new hospitality ministry leader. She's taking Teresa's uh, position. She's taking her, her spot there. Um, we are starting a new thing on staff where if you are coming on staff as a new staff, we're going to have you teach right away. So Ashley, you're up next to Yeah. No, just kidding, because we want you to come back tomorrow and show up for work. Yeah, okay. Just a joke. Uh, actually, before um, the position opened up, before uh, we knew Allie was going to, I think before Allie knew she was going to apply, our teaching team had mentioned wanting to have Allie come and teach this summer. Uh, I got to know Allie serving on a commission pastor team together uh, for several years where we, we oversee the training programs and the ex examinations of people going through commission pastor. And so she has the gift of teaching. And so we're we're delighted that she and Mike and her girls have, have joined us and joined the church this month and that she's coming on staff and now that she can teach us. And so we just pray for the Lord's favor on her this morning that we'd have ears to hear. So welcome. Andrew. Yeah. Okay, so I love people and there's some things, I will introduce more of myself, but some of the things you should know is that I love people. And one of the things that I love about that is getting to know people. So I wonder if we should get to know each other this morning a little, yeah? So let's stand up, welcome each other, and then I want us to share what's your favorite thing about the 4th of July? What was one of the things that has always been your favorite thing? Go ahead, introduce yourselves. that. Great job. Take a couple more seconds and then we will continue on. So much joy in the room. So much excitement. The 4th of July kind of does that to you, doesn't it? So much joy and excitement. Well, like Andrew said, my name's Allie Cranmer and one of my favorite things about the 4th of July has always been fireworks and sparklers in particular. So Mike and I got married on the 5th of July because I thought like then I could really be like, look at all these are for us, and they weren't. But anyways, that's part of it. So I'm married to a man who's wonderful. His name's Mike. He's actually playing, helping with guitar this morning. I have two incredible theologian daughters that are 10 and 7. They teach me more about God than they just teach me so much about God. So other things to know about me, I am Puerto Rican. We're from the Chicagoland area. We moved to this area into Iowa about 12 years ago, almost exactly. On the 30th, it was 12 years ago. We love Iowa. It is a lot different than Chicago, but we love Iowa. And I can't wait to be here on staff. I'm so honored that I have the, the privilege of being here. I'm excited to speak today. And so I just can't wait to have this moment 
And I am so thankful that we get to call you our church family. So I just wanted you guys to know that right off the bat. So those are just a few things about me. But one of the things you should also know is that I have actually been in ministry for 16 years. Full-time ministry, I was in it before for 16 years. And a lot of those years were with young adults, youth, and their families. And one of my absolute favorite things in those moments was going on trips with them. So we went to desperation. I'm so excited that you guys are going to desperation. We went to desperation. I saw students' lives change at desperation. God did big things and called some of our students into major things at desperation. I've been to Haiti. We've gone all over. I've gone to so many places. Such an honor. But the reason I love trips so much is that you get to know people differently. All of a sudden, all the things that would have been the limits, the boundaries, the walls break down because we would often take cell phones away we could function. We were okay. We did it. We would take cell phones away. We would have to look at each other. We would be exhausted. We would be sweating, sometimes crying, sometimes bleeding. There were a lot of things that happened on trips. Well, about seven years ago, we had a group that was about to head to Compton, California. And it was a mixture for the first time of high school students, young adults, and adults. And we were so excited to do this trip. We were going to be in the inner city, transforming houses. We didn't officially know all the things we were doing until we got there, par for the course in ministry a little bit. But we went, and we were excited to go. Well, about two days before the trip, I got a phone call from some guys, and they were young adults, and they said, I don't think we're supposed to be going anymore. So pause for a second. These guys actually were about to lead one of the biggest things I would say this area had seen in a while. They felt for a whole year that if they really pressed into God, God would show them big things. And so God showed them, why don't you lead a conference or a worship time that joins all the churches, all the communities, all the generations, and just go for it? So they decided to call it Unite Midwest, and they decided to go for it. Well, we were about to go on this trip, and it was probably a week and a half, two weeks before Unite Midwest, and they had no money. And they were about to put on a big thing. See, when they heard God say, go do this, they didn't think, let's just invite all the churches and let's have all the churches lead worship together. They decided, Bethel Music, that's who we should invite to lead this worship thing. And Bethel Music costs money. So, but they also didn't think, let's just house it in a church because they really wanted it to be a neutral place. So they said, let's do an outdoor worship conference and the whole thing costs more and more money. So here we are about a week and a half, two weeks before, and they have no money for this conference that they're about to lead together. And they have no idea what to do. And so they call me and they say, I don't think we're supposed to go. I'm pretty sure we need to stay back and raise money. And you know when you have those moments probably and someone comes and like wants your advice or comes and gives you something and you're like, how do I tell them that you should be responsible and keep your commitments, but also be like, but God will provide. So all that's clashing at one moment, I try to give my best youth pastor answer, and I say, but you just tell me when you decide. So they call me the next day, and they say, we've decided to go, and you could tell they were not excited about it, but they were going to go. I guilted them well. I'm just joking. That would have been so bad. I hope I didn't guilt them. Lord, forgive me if I did. But I, they decided to go, and the very next day, we gathered at the church, and we started to pray together, and we took off. 
well, I wish those guys were here because if I'm honest, something unbelievable happened in those 45 minutes to Des Moines Airport. Because email after email came in and what was a mountain of money by the time we got to the Des Moines Airport was a speed bump of money. And they kept like yelling in the vans, oh my goodness, this is how much money just came in. And all of us would look at each other and be like, there's no way. And then they would get another email and it would say, this much more money just came in. And we would look at each other and be like, what is happening? And then they got one more and the same thing happened again. And like I said, it was a speed bump of money. And so they could go to the trip and just trust that they really did hear the Lord. But I loved it because they chased after God. And they chased after his heart. So if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we have been studying the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is such a beautiful sermon from Jesus. So I want to read the first, the passages that we are going to be in. It is Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And this is what it says from the NIV version. You can look at the screens. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So one of the reasons I love the Sermon on the Mount is I really feel like Jesus looks at his listeners, which was a hillside full of people, and says, you've heard it this way. Let's think about it this way. And he invites us to question and deconstruct the things we had known for a very long time. I love that. I love that Jesus is like, okay, so we've made rules and boundaries, and some of them are really good, but some of them we've made interesting rules and boundaries on top of the rules and boundaries that were from God, and they actually aren't the heart of the Father. And so Jesus brings us back into deconstruction over and over. You've heard it this, but now I'm saying this. You've heard this, now I'm saying this. And he does that in this passage. So you all introduced yourselves what if we talk about it a little bit together, right? So I'm going to read it one more time, but this time the message version. And then right after, I'm going to ask you, with those around you, if you're an introvert, I'm really sorry. I'm not that. Um, But I have compassion and love for introverts because I'm married to an introverted person. And I had a sister that was very introverted. And so I'm sorry. Pray. That could be fun. Um, But... We're going to answer these three questions at the end of me reading this next passage, which is the exact same one but from the message. And it will be, what did you see? What did you hear? And what did you wonder about based on this reading? So maybe it's exactly the words. What did you see? What did you hear? What made you think a little? What did you wonder about? What questions do you have? Let's read it one more time. Do not hoard treasures down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. 
stockpile treasures in heaven where it is safe from moth and rust and burglars. It is obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. And if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You cannot worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt of the other, and you can't worship both God and money. So, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you wonder about? Talk to those around you for a second. I'm going to give you 10 more seconds. All right, so I want to hear from some of you. So we'll do this a little bit by section. Three people. I feel like an auctioneer. So if we do it quickly, we get to move on faster. So this, over here, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you wonder about? Let's go with what did you see. Anyone want to go? Yes, thanks. Be aware of what kind of content you watch on your phone. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Can I ask what your name is? Rick. Rick. Thank you, Rick. Okay, what did you hear? Middle section. This is big. You guys are a big section. I know one of you is going to want to speak. What did you hear? Yeah. Yeah, so it really is common sense because whatever we store up on earth, it's going to leave us anyways because we believe that we have an afterlife with Jesus. Yes. Can I ask what your name is? Marty. Thank you. Rick, Marty, rock stars. Thanks. All right, this section, what did you wonder about with this passage? What questions did you have? It's overwhelming. There's too many people talking. Just joking. Go ahead. <laughs> But honestly, does anyone have a question that they might have from the passage? This is the point in which, like, the desire becomes, like, servitude to money, to God, you know? Like, yeah. Where that kind of boundary 
Wow. Thanks, Chris. So the, where does the line get crossed where it goes from like having money to being owned by the money? That's great. Rick, Marty, Chris, thank you so much for participating in this fun event that we just had together. <laughs> so the thing I love about the passage is Jesus doesn't actually say that money is evil. And Jesus doesn't actually even say that money is bad. However, he does warn his listeners about their heart posture towards money. Jesus cares so much about the heart of the people that are listening, about our hearts, that he makes the distinction. And he poses the question, what is our trust in? Where does our destiny come from? And where is our worth found? So some of you might be thinking, well, hold on. But I also know that very last section of those passages, well, God is... Jesus is actually saying, don't worship God and don't worship money. And some of us may have heard the money part being called a demon of money. Well, I had heard that for a really long time too, that you can't worship God and the demon of money called mammon. But the more I researched for this message, the more I realized that actually it's, mammon is the Aramaic, the original word for money and possessions. So Jesus isn't necessarily saying, don't worship the demon of money, but he is saying, be careful with where your heart lands. Because if you're ruled by the things that you own and the money that you have, that's something to be concerned about. He's all about the heart. He's all about bringing the Father's heart to us and us having a heart for him. And so Jesus is asking us about our heart. I think this is helpful specifically with the mammon piece to understand because some of us may have felt shame around money. We haven't known what to do with if we are really blessed and have a lot of money. We haven't known what to do with if we don't have a lot of money. We haven't known what to do with if we want something. And so we try to deny ourselves of things. We don't know what to do with those moments because I don't know about you, but at times I've wondered if God just doesn't love money, if God actually thinks money's pointless, but he created it for a reason. Because he understands that not only does it help us get the things that we really need, the food and the clothes and all of those other good things, but he also knows that we get to give it to other people. We get to buy land with it. There's significance in money. God wouldn't have given money as an opportunity for people if he thought it was bad, right? Jesus, though, saw those around him be really swayed with what money was doing. I can only imagine Jesus being with his disciples. And the disciples were a really rough crowd, and not many of them, except Matthew the tax collector, had a lot of money. Have any of you seen Chosen? Okay, so Chosen, I think, demonstrates this beautifully. Because you have Matthew, who has an exponential amount of money because he's a tax collector, and there's so many other things with that. Then you have the rest of the disciples who have been fighting to even put food on the table, and now they're supposed to all be together and maybe become best friends because of a man that says, come follow me. And they sit there, and this group judges Matthew, and Matthew is afraid, and the chosen does such a beautiful job of portraying it. But that happens today too, right? So let me give you an example. Mike and I, like I said, have been married about 14 years, right? Or we're about to be. Let's 
I know, three, two days, but two, yeah, we're about to be married 14 years. So in those 14 years, we have learned so much together. We have learned what love looks like differently. We have grieved big things together. We have moved states together. We have had jobs and job losses together. We've had family situations come up. We've had kids. We've had houses. We have had so many things in 14 years. We've also had other things. For the first time, we bought iPhones. Let me grab the stuff. We bought iPhones. We've gone to Disney. We like to hike. We've had a lot of things. We've bought cars. We've bought gaming things. We've got, like I said, we've gone to Disney. We have had a lot of dogs, a lot of dogs. All the things. But if Mike and I, when we go to Liberty Street on Tuesday and reflect on life and our love, can only talk about this, there's an issue with that. Because, see, eventually these things all become maybe ruling things, right? If Mike and I are having this romantic date and I say, wait, 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 hold on. So-and-so's messaged me. This is actually a real story. So at one point, we were, it was right before our wedding. Sorry, this is a side note. But right before our wedding, and I was like, hold on, I'm talking to someone, and we we're on a walk together. And he's like, you're not talking. That's not what talking is. That's texting. But there was, like, not really a word for that. And I, anyways, so that really happened. Thank you for marrying me still. <laughs> so, um, but if this became the ruling thing, and this was the only way we knew how to relate, do I really love Mike? I mean, I... I do, right? Like, we've been married 14 years. We've been committed to each other. But how does Mike feel in that? If I only talk about how cute my dogs are, or the houses, or the next job anticipation, what does Mike think in that? What does he feel? Well, the same thing can happen with God. If all of this stuff becomes the in-between between God and my relationship, what does that speak about my relationship with God? Now, he's the giver of great gifts. I might love my dogs a lot. I love my daughters more, but I might also love the dogs and all the things. And we love to play Mario Kart together as a family. You know, I love all those things. But if I can't access God, what does that say? I mean, eventually, when these things become such ruling things, they actually filter what we're hearing from God. Where without, we have the direct connection. So Jesus is actually warning about that exact moment. When the things become the ruling things in our life and we can no longer access God in the same way that we once did when we originally fell in love with who Jesus was. Jesus is so incredible. I become more and more and more impressed with Jesus, which I should, I mean, I'm, I've been impressed because like he died on the cross and rose from the dead, right? But his heart is always for us. And when I was a kid, I used to always think that Jesus, when he would say or try to convict me that it felt like he was coming with an iron fist and was like, 
Ellie, just do this right. And I would sit there and feel like there's no way. Or, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so bad. But Jesus is saying, no, Allie, really, I just want to know where your heart's at today. I don't think I realized how hard my heart had gotten. I don't think I've realized how often I turn to these things and trust them more than I trust the Lord. Now, if I were you, I'd be sitting there and being like, didn't you just say that you were in ministry for 16 years full-time as a pastor? What's wrong with you, girl? And I would probably agree with that if I'm honest with you, but there's another part of me that says we're all sinners. I think culture today forces us to live in a land of comparison instead of a land of freedom. I would say specifically American culture does this for us. When we choose to live in comparison, we can then become ungrateful for the treasures God has given us, and then the treasures that God has given us become the things that we worship instead of God himself, and then they become the things that we hear God through, and so now we don't even know if we're making the right decisions anymore. I can quickly forget that God asked me to be in the world, but not of the world. And so then when I look across the street and see Jim and Susie with the nice new camper, my tent doesn't look so good anymore. And I may have celebrated that camper for them. Man, look, they got a camper, Mike. Isn't that cool? And then I congratulate them to their face, but then I get home and within seconds, I look at Mike and I say, They've really made it in life, haven't they? They have that nice camper. This is an extreme example. I understand if you're like, really? You're obsessed with campers? But our comparisons can lead to a lack of trust. And the things that we begin to think may not be right anymore. And so for Jesus, when he shared about our treasures, he was concerned about what our treasure really was. Where was our identity coming from? Where is our worth coming from? What is that speaking to us and about us? We are going to be headed into worship in just a couple minutes. But I wanted to tell you one more story about those guys. So those guys, those young adult guys that I told you about that led this unbelievable worship time did it actually four times. And then they had an access of money. So they did it four different years. They created this whole movement for young adults, which was beautiful in itself because millennials are known for all the cursing that people speak over them. Rarely do you hear a good word about a millennial. And that is like, we should cut that off immediately in the name of Jesus because they are some of the most incredible people you will meet. So here are these guys, they've dreamed this dream with the Lord, literally with the Lord, and then all of a sudden, they have, access, they have excess of money in their account, and they don't know what to do with it. So they started to pray, and they asked God, what do we do with all this money? It feels weird to have this organization that had no money to having too much money, and God said to them, bless people, and try to spend all of it if you can. Now, right, they're young adults. 
Meaning in the sense like, did we really just hear that? They were really questioning that because they're like, we would love to just give money to every person we see. So they were really trying to discern and they went back to the Lord and the Lord said, I dare you to try to outspend me. I'm, not, I'm like legitimately not joking. That's exactly what the Lord said. So they come to me and tell me this and I said, whoa. And the one of them looked at me and said, Allie, we could not outgive God. We thought we had like hit the bottom of our account and God had even more. And so we just continued to bless people. So what that meant was they took hundreds of people to the Passion Conference, hundreds of young adults. They paid for people to start endeavors of their own like Unite Midwest or just in their own. It was very shark tank, but much better than that. It was beautiful. And so I wonder for us today, for some of us, has God put things on our heart that he's saying, your treasure has been in heaven. I've placed this exact dream in you. Do it. Don't be afraid. Go. Break free. Go do it. Or for others of us, myself included, do I need to confess that oftentimes I actually worship the things and the giver of things and not the giver himself? My new church family, I want to invite us to ask the question, where has our treasure been? Where is our treasure now? Does the receipt of our lives actually show where our true treasure is? And then what does that receipt really mean for us? So last week, Andrew, like, was not planned. (laughs) Andrew had said, what if we all take a spending break? That was one of his examples. What if we take a spending break for one month and just see what happens? So I want to add to that. What if some of us, the Lord presses on our heart, what if you take a spending break, but then take that money and give it away? Don't hoard it. Don't just see and look at the pile that forms in front of you, but actually give it. And what if as a family you dream about that? You pray together and God says, many hands for Haiti. And then all of a sudden you can give all that money instead of the coffee you would normally buy at Scooters. We're guilty. Uh, instead of that coffee, you actually go and give it to Many Hands for Haiti instead. But maybe for some of us, it isn't money-related. Maybe it's time. Maybe we shut our phones off every time we're home. I know, that is a sacrifice. But we spend quality time with people. What if we speak less and listen? It's hard not to give advice. I have an opinion about everything. I might not be the only one. So here's some different examples that I wondered could be something that maybe the Lord's inviting us into. I'm not saying they are the exact examples. So maybe no spending and you give it somewhere else. Maybe no social media and you only do face-to-face interactions. Maybe you choose into serving somewhere. Maybe you come and pray over in our prayer area. Maybe you choose to declutter and give those things away. You won't stockpile them for heaven, right? Maybe you work on your words and we continue to learn to speak life into people and situations instead of death. Maybe we speak less to listen more. But these are just some examples. Maybe God has something else to say to you and we celebrate that instead. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I know for myself, 
not often does my treasure look like where my heart means to be. So will you spend the first couple minutes just sitting, standing, whatever it may be, but with your hands open, asking the Lord, what do you have for me today? And then we'll worship God together. <laughs> 